Hello and welcome to Sad Girls Against the Patriarchy. I'm Allison. And I'm Alexis. And we are your sad girls. Back together again. I'm back. Yay. Still a little sick, but um, fun- functionally sick. Like a functional alcoholic, but I'm functionally <laughs> sick. <laughs> so you're both right now. I'm, I'm, like, so I'm, I'm a little both at this uh, particular time. But, you, um, you seem to have all the energy of having been sick and now being able to reemerge. Yes, I have been like in a cocoon for the past four days. Um, and I think yesterday, like, I think I said a grand total of like 20 words because I was trying to preserve my throat because it hurt so bad yesterday. Except I did hear from our mutuals that you had a good party time on Friendsgiving. So I did. Because like, mm. I, I went balls to the wall on Thanksgiving because I was just like, let's go. And then the next day I was like, oh, I don't feel good. I'm probably hungover. <laughs> and then the next day I was like, oh, no. This, I'm dying. It's not. I'm not hungover. It's, it's, some, it's bad. Hungover plus sick is the worst hangover. And I've had a lot of hangovers, trust me. Yeah. Tuesday, the day before I had my colonoscopy, and I like, the anesthesia like fucked me up. Like, I couldn't move. And I was just like, man, I feel again, like hungover. Like, someone like kicked me in the ass. And I was like, I can't, I can't move. And then the next day, I was like, okay, like, I got it, I got it. And then I was just like, I'm going to go to Friendsgiving. And then the next day, my body was like, you stupid fucking cunt. Pay for that. You pay for it. Yeah. Being chronically ill and in your 30s, um, it's a, a whole new world. A winning combo. Yep. Was the colonoscopy a big deal? I don't think I knew you were doing that. Does it? What does it mean? Oh, I mean, I have to get them regularly. It's my sixth one where I've had been spit roasted by it's... a camera by a male doctor. Ugh. Um, of course. So. <laughs> of course it's a male doctor. It was just... Um, like, it was routine, but they found some more shit that I might have um, another autoimmune uh, disease not related. Oh, no. So, you know, fun fun stuff. Do they uh, travel in packs? No, this one, there's no, I looked it up to see if there was any correlation, and it was like, not particularly, no. So, it's, I either have, like, a really severe food allergy, like celiac or something. Mm, okay. Or I have this thing where it's called eosinophilic esophagitis, where you have eosinophils in your esophagus, which they're not supposed to be there. Fun fact, because my esophagus was all fucked up when they went in there. So Damn. yeah. Okay. Which um, explains why I've been so, uh, lots of things lately, but you know, just just the adventure and fabric of life. Well, I'm glad you're here. Pretty well, pretty good today. Yeah. I'm, oh. Jesus, I always <laughs> do that. <laughs> I've never spilled any liquids on our equipment, but I do be knocking over bottles frequently. I mean, we do have to sign paperwork that says if we fuck their shit up, we have to pay for it. We break it, we buy it. I spent Thanksgiving with my family in my home state, and parts of it were good, parts of it were not. It's really... It's this sounds so gay and stupid and old, but like it's so cute watching my nieces grow up and like change phases. Gay, <laughs> yeah, that's gay, bro. It's actually probably pretty heteronormative to, be, to like raising children. Yes, but I just thought it was so stupid when adults would say things like that to me, like, "Oh, you look so different. You're growing up so fast. How old are you again?" I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god get a hey. life, yeah, grow up, <laughs> please." And now I am that, and I call myself out to my nieces. I'm like, I know I sound really old when I say this, but, like, it's so lovely watching you mature into a beautiful young woman. Oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. I bully my niece and nephew. I mean, I kind of – I try to, like, roast them a little bit. Oh, well, yes. I want to make sure that they're they're humble. Yeah. Yeah, keep them humble. No, but the 14-year-old is so cute. She's so much healthier and more balanced than I was at that age. She hasn't bought into the religiosity dogma yet. She goes to church, but it's clearly just like because she has to. Right. It's like this is what we do. Yes. It's like yeah. going to the grocery store. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, she could it could kick in at any time. Oh, for sure. I mean, who knows with stuff like that? I literally don't know. Who knows? 
I'm seriously. I made <laughs> I made the most backhanded little jab at my sister when the eight year old niece said something about how like men can't get married. That's so stupid. How silly that they think they can get married. And she was clearly parroting something she'd heard. And I just kept my mouth shut because like not my place. I'm in front of the parents. Right. And then later my sister says, thank you for not interjecting and commenting on that because, you know, we have different opinions. And I said, well, you know, anything I say to her now isn't going to make a difference. She's going to grow up and she's going to form her own ideas. And it has nothing to do with what I say to her. The undertone being or what you say to her. Right. It's almost like she's an independent person yeah. and become a fully fledged adult and make her own choices and opinions. And it doesn't matter what you do. If anything, sometimes it can do the exact opposite. <laughs> And my sister is smart enough to read the, uh, the oh, of course, that little oh yeah, little, mm, little wink mm-hmm. there. So it was good. It was mostly mostly peaceful. And I went to the mall on Black Friday. You went to the mall. Oh my god! <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I think people space it out over the whole weekend now because of yes. online deals and things and longer sales. It wasn't that crazy. Good. But yeah, every time I go to Aeropostale and Hollister and PacSun, Abercrombie, still and they haven't changed. In I mean the style have changed. They're the hit clothes are Tim Allen in the 90s, but the vibe of the store, like in Hollister, there's cologne and it's dark. But it's still dark and you can barely see the clothes. And it's hot. It's really warm in there because they're trying to pretend we're in California, even though we're in 40 degree weather in Washington state. Yeah. And also California is not like that hot. And not humid. It's not humid. No. Like like Hollister. I used to feel so self-conscious in those stores and like I just wasn't even cool enough to be there. And now I just roll through like... normies oh my goodness <laughs> i see when i was younger i was like an edgelord so i was like i don't go into these stores no. i only go into hot, hot topic <laughs> maybe spencer's yes definitely spencer's <laughs> gifts and then my mm-hmm. mall had a another alt clothing store that i would go into and i ended up working at and then quitting on my lunch break years later yeah full circle of the mall really I, I was less scared of hot topic and spencer's because i actually thought the people were more welcoming and nice and less um snooty about yes. their coolness but those stores, they just don't have any cute clothes. That's what I learned. No. And I already posted this on my personal page, so Alexis already saw this story, but there was a boy who was working at one of these stores, and he had really pretty hair. It was, like, shoulder length and brown and blonde, and, like, he had a dye job going on. It was very fluffy. It was really pretty, and so I just was happy to tell him, and I think boys don't get compliments like that, especially, like, that age. Right. And he was so embarrassed. It was so cute. And I just wanted to pinch his little baby 18-year-old cheeks and be like, baby boy. (laughs) You're you're a handsome young man. You're growing up. You're such a good boy. (laughs) And then adult men be like, oh, I want to date a 19-year-old. I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) You mean a child? Yeah, a little child. I don't get it. I so don't get it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel this. I feel the same about that. Because, yeah, if I look at a 19 year old boy, I'm all I'm thinking is, baby, this is a child. This is a tiny Literally. little baby. Undergrown. It's not grown yet. No. It's not fully formed. It's, it's still bacon. It's like when you see a teenage cat, like between that kitten and adult cat stage where right. they're like gangly and their paws are too big. It's so cute. <laughs> teenage cats, though, and they like clomp around because their paws are too oh, big. Oh, yeah. And they haven't grown into them. Oh, I got to meet the new orange kitty at our friend's house, too. The baby <gasps> diva. Miss diva. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Persian cat with, I'm assuming, with like a flat, smushed, grumpy cat face. Yes. That cat needs an Instagram. Stat. Yes, she does. And yeah. she's so chill. I just Oh, yeah. We floppy. We around. Mm-hmm. Just, she's so, I think she's my ragdoll. ragdoll. Yep. 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 I had the same thought. Because she also has like the ear hair floofiness. Ugh. I know. Obsessed. I love- 
I, I just it's our friend's mom is a vet and so she gets a lot of rescue animals frequently and someone dumped this poor baby Persian cat which are like expensive. incredibly expensive cats yeah. at a groomer because she had a prolapsed anus. Oh. Their mom fixed the butthole and now she's just the sweetest floppiest little girl. She's all better. She is all better. Oh good. Yeah. Ugh. We're going to talk about animals today. Yes, we are. How's that for a segue. <laughs> That's a great segue actually. Yeah, the theme of the last episode in this one is evolutionary biology, evolutionary myths, and that refers to the study of human behavior and how it's connected to our process of evolving through the years. There's a more technical term for it, but basically you'll hear people say things like men are meant to spread their seed and women are meant to settle because that's how our ancestors did it. Or when we talked about the quote unquote biological clock, women are driven to procreate at a certain age. A lot of these things aren't real. There's mm -hmm. science behind it, around it, adjacent to it, but not in the way that you might think. Yes, and a lot of things as well have been debunked or someone said something and no one just followed through and did multiple studies to corroborate it. So, yeah. yay, bunk science. In the case of the alpha male, even like three of the most prominent scientists who popularized the term, Schenkel, oh, I called him L. David Mech, M-E-C-H. It's pronounced Meech, so I apologize to Mr. L. David Meech. Is he still alive? I think so. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> His website looks active. He was doing stuff in the 70s, so he's probably on the older side and definitely not listening right now. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> should send it over to him. But him, uh, Shen well, actually, I don't know if Schenkel backtracked, but he, I don't think he's alive anymore. Uh, Friends Duvall was another one who popularized alpha males. They've all come out and been like, oh, my God, put it to a rest. This is not what we meant. Slow your roll. You're crazy. Didn't make a difference. Yeah, and that's the thing about a lot of terms where some things are, like, really nuanced and there's a lot of factors to them, and then trying to explain it to someone in like one sentence and then someone like yeah. runs off with it. Like there's a lot of things I have to explain to people that like the term white privilege. I had to explain that to my older family because they grew up super poor and like right. didn't have indoor plumbing. So they're like, I didn't have any privilege. Like, what does that mean? And I'm like, no, no, no. it doesn't mean white people inherently are privilege means you've never had anything go against you because you are white. Like your race has never impeded you in any way. The privilege is because you're white, your race has never affected you getting anything. Like, that's never hindered you. And she was like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. And I was mm -hmm. like, that's what it means. It doesn't just mean that you've had no hardships in your life ever. Yep. It's the same thing. It's like, but that takes too long to explain. And they probably never had it explained like that before. No. And people will just shut things down if it doesn't align with what they believe Yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, because I'm sure it's just, you know, not that she's over in England. She doesn't watch Fox News or any of that stuff. But it's that similar thing where it's just like, and they say white privilege. Well, yeah. what about this? And it's yep. like, that's you're just throwing that in there. And that doesn't that's not what it is. No. All right. Well, let's get things going. As Allison previewed last week, I am going to be talking about polyamory, or as Jennifer said, polyscamory, which uh, <laughs> cracked me up so much. Might be the title of the episode. We'll see. Depends on where your research takes us. Look, I'm going to try so hard <laughs> to be impartial because I do have a very strong bias against polyamory, but I researched so much and for so many hours and tried to have the pros and cons of both. And I'm trying not to just put things that, you know, no. confirmation bias. Yep, but, yep. We are, you know, scientists, first and foremost. First and we foremost. must be impartial yes. and unbiased. But, you know, at the end of all studies, they have like an area where it's like bias at the bottom. <laughs> I just want to put it at the top and let you know. Yeah. 
that I I did actually have a bias going into this. And I will say that my research afterwards, my stance hasn't changed. Cool. Okay. So, but I'm going to go in some definitions first and foremost. So polyamory, I'll start with, is, it's a made up word. (laughs) (laughs) Good start. It is. um, It was first published in 1990 in some magazine. Oh, wow. The term as poly dash amorous. And it was added to the Oxford Dictionary in 2006. That's very recent. Yes. Um, and I've seen this as a meme, but I looked it up just to make sure. People hate the etymology of this word because poly is Greek and amor is Latin. So it should be more like polyphilia or something like that. It's just like people just made up two different old language words and smashed them together. The other words that go in with this that I'm going to define are things like polygamy, which is just Greek in origin. Okay. Which means having multiple spouses. The most common form of that is polygyny or Polygon, pol- polygyny, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, gyno like is like... Polygyny. Polygyny? Polygyny, whatever. Sure. That's the spelling. I'm going to say that. Polygyny. I'm just going to say that from the rest like of the time. Like gyneco-gyno yeah. is the yeah, root. Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Which is multiple female partners. And then there's polyandry, which is mm-hmm. multiple male partners. Andro, yes. Yes. So again, like I said, uh, polygyny is the most common form of polygamy that we're all familiar with in the world. But <clears throat> polyamory, everyone... Where to begin? There's been multiple studies, and a lot of these are very recent. And I will say a lot of these have a bias that is pro-polyamory. And there isn't too many studies about polyamory. And the ones that they do have are like surveyed studies that they get their pool from Reddit. Almost every single study I saw was like (laughs) um, the questionnaires came from the polyamory subreddit. um, And that was in multiple like I'm talking over 10 research articles that I read. Like in the BDSM episode, it was things from FetLife and also Reddit. And it's like, "Mm, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So we really have. Yeah. And and one of them was um, a little bit better. It was a singles conference and it was some like 3,000 plus people and that were all identified as single, like completely they had not even dating, like completely unattached. So that one I felt a little bit better about (laughs) researching because I was like, okay, this is a big pool of people. And it's, I think it was in person as well. But it, results show that one in six people desire to engage in polyamory, and one out of nine people have engaged in polyamory at some point during their life. But the way they define this is just having more than one partner at one time, whether that's sexual or otherwise. So if you're dating and you're not attached to someone and you're sleeping with more than one person, in this definition that the way they're describing it, that's polyamory. Right. Not usually how we would just exactly. define it. So a lot of these numbers when I'm reading this are skewed. Because when you're prefacing that way where it's just having more than one partner, whether that's sexual or romantic at one time, then you know what? Same. I've slept with more than one person in a week because I was unattached and it didn't mean anything. So eh, we'll go with that. Okay. So when we talk about polyamory, a lot of what we think about is men usually wanting more than one partner. And I sort of went with this lens in mind. So I was trying to debunk a lot of other myths like, do men think about sex more than women do? And I looked at a study with a bunch of college kids as the study because, you know, they're the horniest population. So I think this was a good uh, focus group. (laughs) Yeah, it usually is the focus group. And sometimes that causes problems. But in this case. Yeah, you want to know about the horny levels and how much you're thinking about sex. Perfect. Um, Men do think about sex more than women do, but they also thought more about sleeping and eating than women do. (laughs) So it just seems like men just think more about basic lizard brain needs than women do. 
So it's more of like caveman shit. We're like, we want sex. We want food. We need to sleep. Versus women are just like all over the place of what we're thinking about, which actually tracks. That's so funny. So it's not even that like men are like more horny. <laughs> They're just They're more simple. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought you would really appreciate. I do, (laughs) I do, because we've also seen the studies where like women are more likely to talk about their internal experiences and have a richer inner life, perhaps. Yeah, and again, anecdotally, I think about twelve hundred things at once. I can't just be like, now I'm thinking about food, and then next I will think about dessert, (laughs) and then next I will think about going to the bathroom. We like to multitask. Oh God, yeah. If I'm not doing like eight hundred things at once, then I'm like, what's the point Mm -hmm. (laughs) doing anything ever? Um, Another a bunch of stats was that there wasn't necessarily a lot of prevalence among a lot of the uh, demographics that you rate when you do studies, except for males, of course, are more prone to want to engage or have engaged in polyamory or consensual non-monogamy, which I will use interchangeably as well because that's also defines like open relationships and swinging and things like that. Polyamory is usually... There's not like an exact definition, but I feel like culturally it's more people that are in multiple romantic partnerships and their partners are usually allowed to have other partners as well. So relationship style. Right. The other thing that they found correlation wise was that people who are wanting to or have engaged in polyamory or consensual non-monogamy behavior are usually less educated, sorry, Um, which is not with the hypothesis of the researchers. They assumed that people that are higher educated would be more apt to be okay with it, but they found that it was people that with lower education and in a lot of the studies, a lower income bracket as Hmm. well. And that's because... Rent is expensive. I was about to say, I was like, (laughs) because of the homosexuals out there. um, But no, what I was reading in the science portion of this, which I'm kind of going to sip around, but I'll get more in depth into this, is... A lot of what we see in multiple partners, even in the animal kingdom, comes from scarcity. Oh. So if you don't have a lot around and you're not going to live very long, then you have to get what you can where you can as much as you can. And what we see nowadays, even in countries around the world that practice mostly polygamy, it's where polygamy is legal, it's not practiced that much. Like it might be legal in a lot of countries, but other than what they call the polygamy belt in Western Africa, the actual practice of it is less than 1%. Huh. Yeah, which is very interesting. But where they find the highest rates of it is in places where people, how long people live is shorter. So what's the term for that? Life expectancy. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, shorter my God. Life expectancy. Yes. Yeah. Countries with shorter life expectancies are more prone to polygamist dealings. Interesting, but not probably polyamorous relationships in the way that we see around us where it's like you're dating multiple people. They're getting married like a man who has multiple wives. Not necessarily. Um, So when they say polygamy here, it's some places it's legal where you can have a marriage and some places it's only legal if you're Muslim and you get married like within it's like a different marriage than like a legal civil marriage like within the face. Yeah, it's like within the mm-hmm. like the church, well, the mosque versus right. through the state. Huh. Yeah. So even in a lot of countries that are Muslim oriented, they still have like a less than one percent practice of polygamy other than, like I said, in the polygamy belt in West Africa, which can be as high as 30 percent in some countries. And I was reading that the hypothesis for this being so popular in Western Africa comes from, what do you think, Allison? Scarcity? 
Slave trade. Oh. Yep, because yeah. those are a lot of the countries that the transatlantic slave trade, we stole people from their land and put mm. them into slavery. So there was less men around. Huh. So when there's less men around. They end up with one man per multiple women. Yep. <laughs> the numbers just don't quite line up for one to one ratio. Okay. Yes. Interesting. And they see that as well in places where there are a lot more women than there are men. Huh. Logistically yeah. speaking, exactly. if you want to procreate, which is our, supposedly our drive. It's supposedly all we think about, apparently, or some <laughs> all shit. All some people think about. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of it, too. And traditionally, historically, even to this day, men die sooner than we do. do. Yeah, that is the case. Yep. And then some studies find that mitochondrial DNA have shown that there have been more mothers than fathers in genetic record of human species. So meaning that there's usually been more females on Earth. Then there are men. I forgot about mitochondrial DNA. College coming back. Yeah, and you can only get it from your mom. Wow. That's mom stuff right there is mitochondrial DNA. Cool. But so traditionally that is it. And that's because they think there was usually more women on earth. And a lot of that was because there was a lot of infanticide of male offspring. Oh, I thought these days we would kill women. These babies. days. Okay. Yes. Yeah. These days. Absolutely. Hmm. That is the case. Okay. And nowadays... In the 20th century, there are actually more men on Earth than there are women. There's okay. about 102 men for every 100 women. Okay. So female infanticide is more common now, but it used to be male infanticide? Yes. Do you, do you happen to know why? Yes. That's from competition, and that comes oh. from our monkey ancestors, which is what people always try to go back to when they talk about- I have a lot about chimpanzees. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bonobos. Yep. And bonobos. <laughs> yep. But there is a lot of- People who try to justify having multiple partners by looking to our primate ancestors. Yes. And here's the thing, you guys. Only a third of primates are monogamous. And it goes all over the place on which ones are and which ones aren't. There's a lot of hypothesis in these studies where they try to justify why a type of animal will be monogamous or not, or if there's multiple male partners to a female partner or vice versa. And they try to justify that based on things like population, scarcity, location, habitat, things like that. And they try to quantify it. But then they'll find an animal population that completely debunks everything that they said prior. So half these studies I'm reading is like, you know, it's from um, wanting to have a good habitat. And so they're monogamous so they can like keep their nests together and that they don't have to worry about, you know, moving around all the time. So it's keeping their offspring safe because they're more likely to develop healthier if they stay in one place. That makes sense. But then they'll find a totally different animal where it's like, okay, like they do the same shit, but then they're not monogamous. And these are from, I found one where it's two different types of seahorses. So huh. these are like very similar animals. I'm not talking like birds and bugs here. Right. They're, uh, they found one literally with seahorses where it's like, one type of seahorse has eggs all the time. They're just like ready to go. And those are the ones that are in, I think those are the ones that were in monogamous relationships. And then the ones that weren't monogamous, their eggs were only ready sometimes. And that's why they couldn't be monogamous because they could only have sex with the females every so often. They can't have sex with them all the time and produce viable offspring. 
And these are just two different types of seahorses. I'm going to have to listen to that back to make sense of it because I got distracted picturing little seahorses with wedding dresses and like a little <laughs> bow tie on getting married and kissing. And it was really little cute. Little seahorses. Yeah. Seahorse I know. I was like, seahorses. <laughs> I just like got down. I was like, I want to know more. And this was hard because I just kept being like, oh, seahorse. Oh, now we're talking about They're boys. They're so cute. They are so cute. <laughs> okay. So even amongst the same... Are the, would those be the same species, or is, I don't? I just don't know things sometimes. But are these different species of seahorses, or is seahorse a species, and then within that, there's subcategories? Don't ask me to remember okay. like phylum, okay. kingdom, <laughs> a taxa, all that you went shit. On a deep dive. I did, and they said the word taxa a lot, so okay. I think maybe cool. taxa um, species. Okay, but even amongst very closely related animals, you'll still see differences depending on their specific conditions. Yeah, but even okay. the conditions, like I said, they'll find it in a bunch, and then there's so many outliers to the rules. So even in the scientific community, there isn't a consensus on what makes a species monogamous or not. It sounds like societal conditioning exists even in animal societies. Maybe, oh. perhaps. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. What? Animals are smarter? Theory number one. I'm just going to show you a picture real quick so you get it. So this is like the taper off of primates. And all the red lines are the ones that are monogamous and the ones that aren't aren't. So you can see where a lot of them maybe are on the same tree branch, but some of them even on the same leg where they get really specific will be one's not one is and one isn't. And we will put that in our story or in a post. Yes. You can look at it, too. In the reference photo number one. Yeah. And this is just things that are considered primates, um, going back from all of our old caveman ancestors over here. And there's uh, new world monkeys and old world monkeys. So I just kept thinking about all these cute animals when I was researching this. They are cute. They are very cute. But people will point to that and just say, well, monkeys aren't so. But then a lot of monkeys are. Uh Like bonobos, right? They're monogamous. I don't remember. I was looking at they have an alpha female leader, but... I can Google it. Oh, yeah. Just had this fucking chart up. I could just look at it like a dumbass. <laughs> no, they're not monogamous. Okay. But baboons or chimpanzees might be. I don't know. No, it's like one of them are that we're related to. And then people get all like, oh, gibbons. That's what I was thinking of. Not bonobos. Gibbons. Yeah. Gibbons are monogamous. Bonobos are sexy. They'd be fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, to each other, not to me. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> they're so sexy. <laughs> That's what I remember from biological anthropology, which were some classes I took. And it was like bonobos have a lot of sex and they solve problems with sex and they're a matriarchal society, which is interesting. Yeah. And they are not monogamous. Yeah. And then there is a lot in the monkey kingdom that we see that they're not monogamous on male and female sides. And people will point to like gorillas have like harems and shit. But it's like that's again, that's just one sect of mm-hmm. primates. There's other ones where everyone's just fucking each other all the fucking time and they do all sorts of shit to just get to fuck town. Maybe we shouldn't compare ourselves to other animals. Oh, maybe. We're our own species that has its own societal norms. Yeah, and things that we've evolved from, from our like evolutionary ancestors, which I'll get into. I'm hopping around all over the place, but I promise no, I'm going to get into cohesive. all of this. It's good. It's good. I know. I was like, this is, it's just going to go. It's making sense. But again, a lot of studies that try to prove is the idea that men spread their seed and women nest. And that, a lot of that comes from this cost of reproduction argument going back to Charles Darwin, where he observed this in some animal models. And then people just accepted that and didn't do any fucking studies on it. And they were like, yes, this makes sense. Men fuck and spread their seed and women don't. And that's how it goes for humans. Great. Moving on. And that's where I've seen a lot of this argument comes from. But then there's no studies to back up this argument because we just accepted it as 
fact. Yeah, and that's an old argument, too. Yeah, Charles Darwin, guys, 1800s. Mm-hmm. This guy was saying this shit. Um, another thing that people, I like to disprove where they talk about with our monkey ancestors and why, this is more for like the polygamist version of this, but why men need to have multiple female mates because they're just have so much, they need to have so much sex to spread their seed. But there's theories about the male penis, the way its shape is, is to be able to scoop out other seminal fluid. <laughs> Gross. Yes, because... It's still in there uh, for yep. your last partner. Yep, because our monkey ancestors, the women, also fucked around. They weren't just in harems. They also had multiple partners. And there's also theories, again, a lot of this isn't studied because there's a bias where people just want to accept a lot of these gender norms as mm-hmm. fact so they don't necessarily challenge them. But again, these are just theories that one of the reasons women moan during sex is like it's a copulation call to let other monkeys know <laughs> that they're fucking and they are ready to go uh-huh. because they also had multiple partners. That's fun. So we base the idea that men need to spread their seed and women need to nest on primates. And then we look at those same primates and then the females in that society are also copulating with all sorts of partners. Yep. But we just don't talk about that part. Correct. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Exactly. But then up. Exactly. And I think that's what I think so funny is because it's like, okay, so you're using monkeys to justify why you need to have multiple women in your life because you're a man that spreads a seed because you're referring to monkeys. But then these monkeys, the women also fucked a lot. And then and there's these other partners. monkeys that are monogamous. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. That refutes all of that um, in case people want to talk about how we're fucking monkeys. And look, we are. <laughs> this, is, this is a pro-evolution <laughs> podcast over here. We are definitely fucking monkeys, but all no. monkeys are different. God damn it. <laughs> Treat all of us differently because we're, we're special different monkeys. monkeys. <laughs> we're special. Um, snowflake monkeys. We are snowflake monkeys. Um, there is something in humans, though, that people will point to called alloparenting, where unlike our monkey relatives, we as soon as we have a baby and someone's like, can I hold it? We're like, sure, here you go. And we just hand it the fuck over, which is not an ape-like behavior mm. at all. And I think that stemmed from when we did live more in village societies where, like we talk about in every goddamn episode, it, it takes, takes a, a village, village to raise a kid. And that wasn't necessarily like multiple partners thing. That was just more of people around your community, your, family, community, your village yeah. being more open and susceptible to raising a child because – our babies have – they need a lot of resources and they take a long time to wean and, you know, a lot of animals come out and they're just like fucking walking ready to go. Like when you see a deer being born and they just like flopping around on their legs for like five seconds but then they're off running. Yep. Babies don't do that. No. We need a lot more care because I was reading our brains are so goddamn big and we need so many calories and so much protein yeah. that it takes a lot to feed them and that's another – theory of why they think we became monogamous. I actually, I saw that too. I don't know if it was the same person, but I was looking at human behavior researcher, Dr. Nathan Pipitone, and uh, he had the same idea that as our brains got bigger, we evolved to co-parent because babies are so useless and it's helpful to have two sets of eyes on them Yep. so we don't die. Yeah. And a lot of it was too, like needing that much resources for your offspring. So a lot of times the mom would sit there and like breastfeed and take care of the kid and the husband, male dad, would have to go out and grab the food and like garner the food for them. So if you're doing that for like 10 fucking monkeys, you're never going to get it done. No. That's not going to happen. So having pairs helped in that aspect as well. And a big thing that they think we came monogamous is because of, this will come up more, is sexual jealousy. Mm. 
if you're constantly worried that you can have multiple partners and you have to look behind your back all the time and try to fend off people from trying to fuck your lady, that's a lot of work and effort. And you have to be on guard all the time. And that's a fucking lot. And it also increased infanticide. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like we talked about. Yes. She has someone else's offspring and then the males will kill it. And she's not ready to be bred because she's taking care of the baby. Yeah. The baby is taking up too much of your goddamn time. So if I kill the baby, then you're ready to fuck again. Yep. So men basically being um, jealous of, of children and killing them was a big part of why they think we also became monogamous because it's like, well, if I only have to worry about just this one lady and that guy over there has his lady, then I don't have to freak the fuck out as much and kill a bunch of people. And that's exhausting. That's another great example of how we shouldn't base our behavior off of the animal kingdom because there's a lot of murder there. Oh, yeah, there is. <laughs> they see it as justifiable, like right. infanticide. If we exhibited that in our human communities, there would be some backlash. Yeah. A little bit. Again, cherry picking animal behavior is so wild to me when people try to justify this shit. Absolutely hilarious. Um, I get the physical aspect of um, like they will study, they study rats. Um, one of the articles I was looking at, it was something about a man who was studying testosterone in rams and comparing that to human testosterone. I feel like that is easier to justify, to make sense of, because you can see physical similarities. But in terms of behavioral similarities. Yes. That's the thing. It's again, it's like people being somewhat scientifically illiterate where they're just taking this thing and transposing it into this other thing. And it's like like you said, something psychological in animals can't necessarily be translated into humans, but something physical is different because that's a physical, like, cemented thing versus yep. emotions and cultures have been and societies and villages and conditioning and all of these other factors that factor into it. And yeah. habitats a lot with animals. Like, what kind of habitat do you live in? Is it Does it have a little bit more scarcity in your habitat? Or is it like a lush rainforest and there's tons of shit everywhere and you can just like laze around and like not care? Like, all of these things make such a big difference in animals. Why we're putting it on to us as humans in a post-industrialized world is absolutely wild. Yeah. It's easier to make <laughs> sense of it by looking at human experiences, like you were saying, in the polygamy belt of Africa, where it's like men have been extracted from there. Like, that makes more sense. We can look at our own habitats and make assumptions based on that. But that just isolates it to human behavior and similarities there. Exactly. We get it. We yes. understand. It's, again, it's from human experience and not animal experience. Baby giraffes can run after 10 hours of birth, just so you know. Yeah, because all other animals just pop out and they're like, all right, ready to go. Ready to go. And human babies are useless. They're like, they need two fucking years. <laughs> and That's then, insane. And then they're still very likely to kill themselves. Like, my understanding of parenting is just trying to keep your kid from dying. Yeah. While that's... they like almost try to die by rolling off tables and eating things they uh -huh. shouldn't eat. Yeah. It's like you go to a parent's house and it's just like, oh, yeah, I have all the cabinets are fucking locked yeah. and all these outlets have plastic in them, um, but not too small of plastic because they'll choke. Exhausting. <laughs> like, oh, my God. And there's like yeah. things on corners of everything. You're just like patting on the like kitchen counter corners and you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Last week, Jennifer was like, I can't feed a baby. I can't feed myself. <laughs> yeah. No way. I'm running into shit all the time. <laughs> oh my god, my husband the other day was like putting on his jacket and like 
put his arm through too hard and like knocked a bunch of shit <laughs> off a shelf and like broke stuff ever and he's like what the fuck <laughs> like i can't have a kid what the fuck no. i'm not calling him out i do that shit too but it's just right it's right. the most recent example of why we shouldn't have children so there's actually more boys that are born than girls. The global sex ratio is 106 male births to 100 female births. That's weird. Very. I'm, again, postulating. I don't have this concretely. But I ha- I wonder if that's because historically we've had less men on the planet. So we're trying to compensate. Yeah, we're trying to make it even because men will die uh, sooner as well. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think that was how, I don't know, chromosomes or whatever worked. I thought there was a 50-50 chance. I mean, yeah, but also there's a lot of speculation about things like... Microplastics. Well, no, I was going to say there's things about, like, why homosexuality is more prevalent in other places because it's like a population... This is, again, it's a fear. It's like a population control control thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like our bodies sometimes... That's interesting. Like, evolutionarily. It's weird shit like that, though. It's like, how do you know there's too much people in the population? Again, it's a theory, Mm -hmm. but I did a paper on it in college. Cool. Because my teacher wanted me to do one because this guy in the class was doing a paper saying that being gay was unnatural and they should all burn to death. So she was like, can you please? (laughs) Um, She's like, I can't be partial, but I need someone to, like, refute this fucking dickhead. And I was like, I got you, bitch. Let's go. I just read this book called Congo by Michael Crichton. Oh, Jurassic wow. Park. I know. Yeah. I've never read a Crichton book before. I've I read The Andromeda Strain in like middle school and it was dry. Yeah. No, it was super dry. There's like many, many pages of references at the back because he does so much research. You're actually accidentally learning things. Stupid. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's dumb. Um, but he talked about genetic memory and I didn't fact check him yet, but it's like they'll see animals where they teach an animal something and then without teaching their offspring or without seeing the parent teach it to their offspring, the offspring will be able to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of studying animals where they see stuff like that. And they're also coming with humans, like the understanding of like inherited trauma, mm-hmm. where they've studied like a lot of the children and grandchildren of like Holocaust survivors yeah. and how their brains are different than otherwise because that they've had this like inherited trauma from their families, which is very interesting. I just feel like that sort of is in the same sphere as your body could induce population control based on environmental factors that you might not even be totally aware of. Yeah, there's probably like some weird neurotransmitter or hormone chemicals in our body that we like haven't discovered yet. That's like knowing (laughs) figuring stuff out so that it makes sense for our offspring. Right. Like so that we can continue to reproduce successfully. And I was thinking, too, like, the people I know that have had kids here, it's like, I feel like almost everyone has, like, one boy, one girl. There might be, like, a little bit more of one than the other, but for the most part. But in America, there's 98 men to every 100 women. So there's slightly more women here, but not by major margins or anything like that. So interesting to think about. So I'm going to get back to, because I have so much about animals that I'm not going to get into, but (laughs) I'm going to long story short it that they research so many goddamn animals, bugs, birds, mammals, invertebrates, everything, and they're all over the goddamn place when it comes to, yes, bacteria. I know you you squinted. (laughs) They did did study invertebrates. Um, Thorough. Yeah. And it's all over the place. And it's all different factors and habitats and all sorts of stuff. So what'd they find out? A lot. There was two. I was reading this one article for like two it, fucking hours. Put it in one sentence. That was it. <laughs> yeah, fair. That was that was a that lot was of the it. Sentence. Yeah. There's other theories about where monogamy comes from. Is that it comes from STIs because there was a lot of uh, sexually transmitted infections, mm. and uh, the more partners you have. More likely you are to get an STI, sure. Yep. So it's like an immune thing as well. Um, they think, it, the, again, these are a lot of theories. Yeah. That of why we became 
monogamous from our predecessors. Right. Things like that. So like our like ancestors. So we're thinking thousands of years ago, maybe there were the same STIs or maybe different ones. I kind of thought of those as recent for no reason at all. I guess I know that gonorrhea, like the clap, like things have been around. I would think those things could take different forms as our bodies like develop resistances to things. I mean, and not only that, it's just like if you're around more people, you're about to get more infections anyways, even if it's not sexually transmitted. If you're around just more people, you're more likely to get sick because right. they might Viruses be exposed to some kind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So huh. even if it's not STI related, it's like if you're in your little bubble, you're less likely to get sick and there's less dangers coming to you. Yeah. All right. Now, polyamory specifically. Okay. We got it. I'm sorry. We got to go there. <laughs> we got to. We got to get away from animals for a minute. <sighs> Look, I know in polyamory, it's not necessarily apparently supposedly male centric where it's just men having a lot of partners and the women don't. There are some models that have that, I'm sure, but that's not like the overarching theme from what I can see. A lot of the studies do show that people in polyamorous or consensual non-monogamous relationships do say overall that they have less incidence of jealousy and they are, quote unquote, happier in their relationships. Like we've talked about all the time, this is self-reporting things as well. Because another study, when it was anonymous online via Reddit, talked about this, again, it's a made up word called compersion. And compersion refers to the positive feelings, joy, excitement, or even contentment just being okay with one's partner consensually being intimate with another person. So when you're in a polyamorous relationship, when your partner gets a new partner, being okay with it or finding joy in it, it's considered like a plus of being in a polyamorous relationship is being happy for your partner having another partner. Right. Which sounds lovely, but... When they did this study, it talked a lot about what stops you from feeling compersion in your relationship. And a lot of these are the exact same things that we have in monogamous relationships. Mm. I'm less likely to feel it if I haven't seen this partner for a long time. Uh, If I'm feeling depressed or anxious or have low self-worth, I'm less likely to experience compersion. It's more likely to happen in men with higher levels of empathy (laughs) because... Again, there's tons of studies. I looked at this as well, and it's it's a trope that happens to be true. The trope is overall women are more jealous than men are. That's not true. Women are more emotionally jealous, and men are more sexually jealous. So in a lot of this data as well, studying different polyamorous couples, it talked about how would you feel if your partner non-consensually fucked someone else. And the men had much stronger feelings about it than the women did versus the question is, How would you feel if your partner began an emotional relationship with someone else? The women had a much higher feeling about that than the men did. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. So a lot of this data basically kind of mirrors what happens in monogamous relationships. And even in they've studied polyamorous relationships where they have like a hierarchy and then the ones that say that they don't have a hierarchy, that all their partners are considered equal. What they found was, like, that's not necessarily true. There's always a primary partner in all of these. And the primary partner, time and time again, is always the person that they talk about, I would be the most upset about if they did this. I would feel the most despondent if they left me. I would be the most upset if they had sex with someone else. I feel less compersion when it's my primary partner. So even when they're studying polyamorous people, they're still having the same feelings, and they're still responding to having a primary partner. And they state time and time again that the primary partner in most of these relationships are the ones that they get the emotional 
connection with. They're the ones that they feel safer with. They might not have as much sex with them as they do their secondary partner, but they talk about time and time again, the secondary tertiary partners. Mostly they have less emotional attachment to, and it's more about just a sexual relationship in a lot of these studies. But that being said, for the most part, it is reported that polyamorous people are happier in their relationships. <laughs> you really had to drag that out of yourself. But that's good to know. Yeah. So basically what I'm seeing, and again, I was trying I was trying to look at all of it, and it does, like I said, have these things where they, they report being less jealous and being less insecure in their relationships. But that's because it's, I'm assuming it's the knowledge of being like, well, I don't have to worry about if they're cheating on yep. me because they I, are. So. Sure. <laughs> well, we're aware of it. Yeah, so I'm like aware it that they're— it away from cheating. Right. But you still have a lot of the same— Feel, like the, the same feelings still come up. Yeah, just in a different context. Slightly. Right. It's the same thing. It's like I can logically understand that this is happening. I can like left brain be okay with it, but people are still sort of reacting the same way. But it sounded like that was when it wasn't within their terms when you said they were with another partner, but it was non-consensual. But I think you meant it wasn't like eth- ethical. It was yes. like they violated their parameters. Yeah, like so non-consensual to them. Like yeah, 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 like not consensual to their partner. Right, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I've heard ethical non-monogamy more than consensual non-monogamy, but I think they're interchangeable. Yeah, and it's in a lot of these papers they they it says. Yeah consensual non-monogamy because ethical is like I guess more sure. fluid versus like sense. consensual is like yes no it's more like concrete that makes a lot of sense yes and but it also stated that with talking about compersion even when it's consensual like if your primary partner gets a new partner you're less likely to feel compersion when they get a new partner huh. because you're more likely to be upset that they have a new partner if they're your primary partner so there's there's like more room for hurt it sounds like. Yeah, because you still, in these polyamorous relationships, they still have primary partners. Even when they yeah. say there's not a hierarchy and they don't have a primary partner. They do. They do. Because they'll have their, they'll literally, a lot of these, they literally listed their partners. There's someone at the top. There's the someone list. at the top. And the person <laughs> at the top of the list was the one that they were like, I would be the most upset about uh-huh. if they left me. If we broke up, I would have the worst reaction. Like when they get a new partner, I feel like the least compersion, like all of this stuff. It's like even in the ones that are non-hierarchical, they still have a hierarchy and they still feel the most intense feelings towards their primary partner. Even though they might not be having the most sex with that primary partner, it's still like the bonded partner. Right. I think this might be like when we were looking at BDSM, not to just keep bringing it back there, but that's one of the more recent times we studied relationships. (laughs) Um, Was like we were looking at best case scenario and all of these of like couples who engage in BDSM are happier than um, the control group of vanilla couples. But that's couples who are in a healthy BDSM relationship. So we're saying polyamorous couples are happier, but these are people who are in a healthy relationship poly relationship. Yes. And there are going to be a lot of examples, I'm sure, of unhealthy out there. Yeah. And that's that's why I'm trying to keep it to just the studies, because anecdotally, like you said the meme that I was going to say this yeah, time, it's like, <laughs> we'll which one of it. you wanted to open the relationship? Which one of you cries yourself to sleep at night? I've I've seen that yes. personally among people that I'm friends with or acquaintances with time and time again, where one of them is like, oh, I'm Polly, and the other person just likes them so much. They're like, yeah, I'm cool with you being Polly. That's totally fine. And it was not. It was not fine. It was not <laughs> Narrative fine. Narrative voice. Yeah. It was not Narrative. fine. <laughs> Things were not fine. Um, and I've seen that quite a lot. And people that, you know, it's like if you like someone enough, you're okay. You're, you know, you'll let that go. You're like, no, 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 but I like them enough. Like, I can, 
I can deal with them being poly. Like, I just want to be with them. No, I knew a couple where the woman was the one who was poly and they're getting a divorce now because they tried and he tried to go along with it. But he, it's not what he wanted either. Yeah. And I, I did see a horrible stat that was something like 95 um, percent of open marriages in a divorce. Oh, that's. Wait, I thought poly people were more happy. This is marriage. I said open marriages. Okay, so that's different than being in a polyamory because so I lived in. I'm assuming yeah, that means like you got married with the intention of not having I an see, open and then you one, and then it. you opened. That's it. different than you went into it as single people Correct. knowing you were both poly, which Correct. is the better scenario. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you go into that from the get go and you're yeah. both actually okay with it, because right. I do know a poly couple that are like they're married and they're both like. They were both poly separately mm-hmm. away from each other in separate poly relationships. And then they came together and got married. Yes. And they're poly. And they're, like, very happy. That seems to be the best, healthiest situation. Yeah. But I think that's the thing, like, we talked about in the BDSM episode, like you talked about, people sort of taking something that does have a lot of nuance and gray areas and things like that and using it as a weapon against someone so that they can do what they want. They can mm. act out behaviors that and they can justify behaviors that are maybe they're like more yeah. round upon. No, I knew a guy who put ethical non-monogamy in his bumble. He'd put that in his profile after I went out with him. Like we'd gone out on a bumble date and then he added it later. And I don't know why I looked at his profile again, probably just like looking for more information now that I knew who he was. And he put that in his profile. So I addressed it with him and he was like, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking to date, right? He was looking to date casually and not get in a relationship with someone. That's not exactly ethical non-monogamy. That's not being poly. That's just like, I want to have casual sex. And that's where I think a lot of that stats I got with my fucking research was. If it's just like, if you just think dating and just like having casual sex is polyamory, right. then these numbers are all over the fucking place. And that's yeah. not what it is. It's not just going to fuck zone town. And like, I will stick, <laughs> look, I will stick up for the poly people on this one. Okay. Like, that's like, if you just want to fuck around and like just fuck to fuck, just fuck to fuck. You don't need to be in relationships with people. I have a really fun little excerpt from a Vice article that I wanted to interject about Please. the polyamorous fuckboy. So this woman is clearly in the UK, so I don't understand. I'll explain. <laughs> <You'll> explain. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> you'll, I don't know. Translate. So the polyamorous fuckboy can usually be found on field or else lurking in corners of the cold, damp warehouses of East London or Bushwick. If he's a real joker, he'll find you on Tinder or Hinge and won't tell you he's polyamorous until the second or third date, by which point you'll think, hey, maybe I can give this polyamory thing a go, only to find yourself ugly crying several months down the line when you want something more than what is essentially an elaborate, no-strings-attached, friends-with-benefits deal for him that you never properly agreed to. Yep. So that's what we're we're talking about is the unhealthy side right. of this. And it's being called ethical non-monogamy or polyamory when it's not. It's not. Yeah. It's absolutely not. Or it's like the, the same thing where it's like what I'm reading here in a lot of these. It's like boys that want a mommy. So they want mm-hmm. that like primary partner to like be there. It's like I want to make sure that you're going to be there and like I'll have food and I have like a place to go to and crash while I fuck around yeah. literally. And again, it's. It's just men wanting to have their cake and eat it, too. Yeah, That's what a lot of the studies said, too. It's like we hypothesize that men are just more selfish and less empathetic, which we've already proven. Yes. So a lot of, of that is tied in here as well. I do think polyamory can work, and I do think it is successful for some people, but I do not think it is as widespread as people say it is because I think you have to be a very particular type of person to be okay with this. And... Based on evolution, we're not okay with it. Like sexual jealousy comes up time and time again in these animal models of, and even in human models where sexual jealousy causes a lot of issues and competition. And 
we are going to be jealous if our mates have another mate. But we also looked at even within seahorses. Some of them are monogamous. Some of them are not. So it's not outside of the realm of reason that some humans are not going to experience jealousy in the same way. Because, yeah, you did say that even happy poly couples have jealousy, but it's still like parameters have been violated. Like they have changed what jealous means to a non-poly couple. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think that we can make an argument that people are or should be poly because of our animal relatives. No, but no, I no. think But I think we can make the argument that some people are because there's variation within the human species. Oh, 100%. I think the idea, again, because it does show in the studies as well, that like men feel a lot more sexual jealousy, That's even so in funny. these poly relationships. Mm-hmm. And That's even still there. Yeah. Even when it is known, like, because there's one that was talking about, even if it's a consensual new partner, if male partner one and... This is going to get so confusing. <laughs> we need a chart. <laughs> Draw the chart. Where's the whiteboard? <laughs> okay. One of the male partners were talking about his female partner getting a new partner. So yeah. that'd be partner two. Yep. When they don't like that partner and they like think they're a bad person, then they get pissed off and jealous more. So even in these consensual poly situations, if they don't like the other partner, huh. then they're higher likelihood of being jealous. Huh. Because if they're cool with them, they're like, oh, like if this is a good guy that I'm not worried as much about. Oh, about her welfare. Yeah. Huh. So it's more of a jealousy than like, what? Like, it's a comp, like, what? This fucking guy? Like, it causes insecurity, <laughs> I think, in the relationship. Cause you're like, what the fuck is this? So even when it is a consensual partner, if they don't like the partner, then they're more likely to experience feelings of sexual jealousy. This episode should just be called Two Very Monogamous, Not at All Polyamorous People Try to Make Sense of Polyamory. Yeah. And like, I look, maybe we should have gotten someone on here that's poly, but this is coming from us. And I, like we said, this is a very biased take. Okay? No, but I love the nuance of healthy relationship versus fuck boy who's abusing a term that he doesn't need to use. Exactly. And that's the thing, too, is like, when we do come to light of these, I hate to say this, but like alternative lifestyles, like al- because <laughs> sure. that's yeah, whatever. But when we yeah. when we bring the light to that, people find out about it. It's easy for people that are pieces of shit to weaponize something like that. Yes. We didn't see any evidence of people are supposed to be polyamorous. In fact, the opposite. Yeah. And I basically said everything I wanted to say. No, that was great. That was really helpful. I've seen... I mean, I used to live in the Bay Area, and so everyone was poly. it felt like that. And there were a lot of single women like me who were saying, I just want to find someone who also wants a monogamous relationship. But this is also cultural where, like, if something is normalized and it's fine, if you're in a small town where everyone is in a monogamous relationship, you're less likely to experiment with that because it's not normalized. I think statistically it wasn't actually more prominent in the Bay. I looked that up, but it certainly felt like it. (laughs) And I know a lot of people that live in the Bay and they talk about that. And um, I actually have one of my husband's friends. They moved to the Bay and then his wife decided she wanted to open the relationship and then he didn't. And then now she's living in the Bay and being poly and he's great. just sad in no. Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Not great for him. Not great for him. But, you know, it's the Bay did it to him. It's or actually, really, yeah. it might have been Portland. Portland, but I know she lives, <laughs> Portland, too. I think she lives in Portland now. I think yeah. they were living in the Bay. Yeah. Portland do be like that, too, though. I read a little opinion piece from a psychologist who was saying that polyamory can also be a way for people to avoid addressing their problems with their partner because it's easier to say instead of 
going through this time together where things are challenging, we'll just introduce new people so that now it's less focused one-on-one. And I've also heard that people will want to get things for more partners where it's like, I don't like, my husband doesn't like classical music. I want to go to see, to the orchestra, to the opera. So I want to have a partner who I can do that with. So it's spreading it a little wider instead of just trying to get your husband to go to the opera with you or finding compromises. So it can be a way around. Yeah. And a lot of that was saying that too. It's just like having polyamory is giving your needs, dispersing them across multiple partners rather than expecting one person to fulfill all of your needs, which I understand that. But guys, you can just be friends with your homies. Right. You don't have to fuck them too. I think that's also societal where men think they have to get like everything from their wife, especially the older mm-hmm. they get, like men get lonelier and it's because they just everything needs to be on my wife. Like my wife has to fulfill everything and yep. women have more friends that they do go to the opera with we or do. like go watch a musical with or whatever the can fuck you, ever. <laughs> yeah. You can just find a bro that that likes, you know, the fucking same baseball or what the fuck ever that your yeah. wife doesn't like. Yeah. People are like, you shouldn't put all your needs on your partner. And I totally fucking agree right. with that. You but that doesn't mean to. you need to have 12 of them. Yes. You can just have friends that yeah. like to do the same things as you. But yeah, I was reading that too. And I was like, look, don't get on your fucking high horse about how your partner doesn't need to be all of it. And like, look, I fucking agree with you. But friends, you can just be cool with people as like humans because we're social fucking creatures. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take it to similar but different. I'll just add a little bit here. So one of the many reasons that it's harmful to go with the idea that men are intended to spread their seed and women are intended to nest is that men will use it as a basis for cheating. Mm-hmm. Or for having sex with someone and then never talking to them again, which is something I think a lot of people have experienced where it's like, cool, they got what they wanted from me and now they leave and men will say, well, I'm programmed to spread my seed. <laughs> so this is when we look at the researcher I mentioned, Nathan Pipitone. That's a great last name. I know. It's fun to say. He published an article about this in the Frontiers in Psychology Journal. First, he started with conducting a study asking participants how likely they would be to have casual sex with someone who might have an STI. And he did establish that men are more likely to do that and are more opportunistic than women when it comes to casual sex. But 50% of the women participating still said they would do it. <laughs> so it's it's not none for right. one thing. <laughs> We also get into the pleasure gap, where women are less likely to achieve orgasm during sex. There's a lot of different studies on this, and maybe it needs its own episode because you can break it down by, like, heterosexual women have this bigger gap, whereas homosexual women in a relationship together have very little gap. Right. (laughs) Unsurprisingly there. Yeah, we could do an entire episode on that. That's actually a great topic. Add it to the drive. But I just pulled the first Forbes article that came up because they're usually pretty legit. And it said that studies have found 39% of women regularly orgasm during sex compared to 91% of cis men. It's a pretty dramatic difference. And cis heterosexual women are the least likely demographic to orgasm during sex. Yep. The gap is more significant in younger people. Well, yeah, because it's some floppy-ass boy. You don't know what you're doing. Go, yeah, that's, there's, there's nothing happening there. And I will say as a mature woman, sex does get better with age. Yeah. On average, women don't experience as much sexual and emotional pleasure as men do. And that's not just men liking sex more. It's like they get more out of it. They're more satisfied by the experience. Yeah, I have a yeah, – I didn't no, get into – no, I had a graph that showed that too. It's like in every single aspect of like why people have sex, even emotional or for resources or all the things that we give the stereotype to women about, mm-hmm. across multiple different types of men like polyamorous or monogamous or this or that, men – 
are higher in all the categories. Like they get more emotional satisfaction from sex. They get more out of sex in every capacity than women do. So that doesn't lead us to believe that women don't want to have sex. It's that why would they if they're not going to get a lot out of it? We talked about emotions last time um, where rewards drive us to do something again. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get a reward from something, the drive is diminished. Right. But that's not about your sexual function or your sexual drive. That's just like your partners suck. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Um, straight women will also avoid casual sex for fear of being judged. There's research mm -hmm. on sexual stigma where women will want respect out of a casual sexual encounter, but they think that they'll be called sluts. And women are, in fact, stigmatized more than men for engaging in casual sex. Yeah, because another deterrent. of all of the above things that we talked about. So then you get a reporting gap here where men are more likely to over-exaggerate the number of partners mm -hmm. they have. And women are more likely to <laughs> under. Yep. So from a biology standpoint, like, sure, pregnancy can be a huge problem for someone. Like, if you have to carry this baby to term as a woman, that can also be a deterrent. That's been minimized, though, as birth control has become more and more available. But Pipitone got back to... Adaptive reasons why women would actually engage in short-term sex. Because they're out there. We can even, if we make it about primates and just evolutionary biology, there is something called mate switching or mate expulsion, where you get rid of a bad relationship. So you test out another mate because you're in a partnership that isn't fulfilling you or isn't maybe healthy for your offspring. Maybe your mate isn't supporting you and your kid. And then there's mate competition where the animals will figure out which mate wants to commit the most. So, again, you're testing them out. Mm -hmm. Mate switching will lead to the good gene hypothesis where women will sample sperm. And <laughs> while they have a long-term partner, they might find the superior partner to impregnate them and then act like the offspring belongs to their long-term partner. Damn! <laughs> Harsh. Not as common in 2023 human existence, but... In the animal kingdom, it's something that happens. Yes. If all of this sounds kind of ridiculous, it's because, again, comparing ourselves to animals and making it all about our evolutionary biology isn't a very sound argument. It's stupid. Like but, you said, dogs yeah. eat their own shit. <laughs> Monkeys throw feces everywhere. They pick up their poop and throw it, okay? Right. Are we really comparing ourselves to them? We are. But what's fun about that is you can do the same thing with female humans. You can say also that... Well, there are reasons for us to not spread our seed, but to sample seed, so to speak, yeah, instead of immediately nest. You want the best offspring possible, so you need the best genetically sure. viable mate. Yep. And then we talked about how monogamy and biparental care is really useful for our species. Yeah. There's better outcomes when it's a monogamous relationship because there's more focus on one offspring versus if you have multiple partners with multiple offsprings, you can't give as much resources to every single offspring. So people like animals that have more partners will have more children, but they're less likely to survive or do as well as when you have two parents coddling them. Yeah, that makes sense. So yes, evolutionary reasons for males to have multiple partners, sure, but also evolutionary reasons for females to have multiple partners. But we do live, we live in a society. We live in a society. And unfortunately for female humans, to put it in those very sterile terms, um, engaging in a sexual encounter is statistically likely to be unsatisfying. And it is likely to cause social judgment. So 
that may not be the best move for you. And maybe that's why supposedly women don't have multiple partners in the same way that men do. Right. It's like we like getting off. Women like getting sexual pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Like we're we're fans of it. <laughs> News at 10. <laughs> uh, most g- women I know have a vibrator. Like oh, we, yeah. we enjoy that. But yeah, I have some sweaty fucking dude on top of me. I'm getting nothing out of it. And he doesn't call me. And it's just a lot. And then it's like pregnancy on top of that. And then what if STDs? There's just like too much nose involved. Yeah. It's like it's not that I don't want to get off. It's just Ugh, that's so much work for like literally nothing. Yeah. And if anything, badness. There's more likely for it to be something bad. Yes. We can't compare ourselves to animals and we can't make these broad sweeping judgments about how men and women supposedly should or will act now. Yeah. Again, it's finding little science facts and then transposing them onto societal conditioning and justifying it with hard science, quote unquote, without Mm -hmm. actually having the context. Preach. So welcome to my TED talk. (laughs) (laughs) I am Miss Andrus Memes on Instagram. And I am TXGothGF. And we are SadGap.Podcast. You can email us at sadgap.podcast at gmail.com. You can send us a little note, a question, some feedback. We would love to hear from you. Absolutely. And please go ahead and give us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple. And on Apple, you can leave us a little review. Tell us how great we are and how our sweet voices are music to your ears. Don't use monkeys to justify your fuckboy behavior. And we're stronger together. We'll see you next time. Adios. (laughs) 